0: Welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I used to be a Presbyterian, then Pentecostal lay preacher. After studying the Bible and church history afresh, I converted to Catholicism in December 2017. And I'm talking about a topic Is God a Racist Bigot? Most people are going to think that's a silly question and an unnecessary question. But you know what, my friends? There are millions of people out there who actually think that God is. It's because they are themselves hate-filled people, and they've created a God in their own image. And they believe that God only loves the people of Israel, and he doesn't love the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people, as well. And they're called Israel-only, or Israel-only preterists. They're people who claim that Jesus' message was only for Jewish people. And then there are white supremacists, Of the Christian identity cult and the Ku Klux Klan. And they believe that the true people of Israel are the white race. And everyone else has no hope of redemption. And then there are the so-called black Hebrew Israelites. A black supremacist group that hates all white people. And they say that white people are descendants of Esau, the Edomites and that God hates the Edomites and wants to see them all killed and maimed and sent to hell but what does the scripture say what does the church teach what does does the Bible itself say about your ethnicity and your race and your relationship with God so we're going to have a look at that In Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, Jesus tested a Canaanite woman. He tested her for her humility and her faith. And she won with flying colours in both. And Jesus tested her by saying, I have only come to the lost sheep of Israel. But you've got to read that passage in its context. There are many things Jesus said that if you read them in isolation or out of context, you could come away with some pretty bizarre beliefs. Jesus said some very hyperbolic things to illustrate a point. Jesus said, unless you hate your father and mother or your own life, you cannot be my disciples. Elsewhere, Jesus says that if you do not forgive people and you do not love others, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So which is it? Was Jesus contradicting himself? And the answer is no. What Jesus meant was you were to love Jesus more than your own life and your own family. But there are many things that if you read them out of context, you would walk away thinking that, It was a load of bunk, what Jesus said. For example, Jesus told the rich young ruler to obey the commandments. Honour your father and mother, he told him. And then in another context, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, Do not call any man on earth father, for you have one father. And if you were to take that out of context, we'd have to say that Jesus was contradicting himself. He wasn't. Jesus was condemning the Pharisees and the scribes for how they viewed fathers and for not looking at the bigger picture. And all throughout the New Testament, spiritual leaders like Paul or to the people that John wrote to in 1 John were called fathers fathers. So what we're going to look at, because this passage comes from Matthew's Gospel, I'm going to look mainly at Matthew's Gospel. But I'm going to look at the Scripture as a whole, beginning with the Old Testament and then going through to the New Testament and look at what does the Bible say about your race and your ethnicity? What was the context in which Jesus spoke to the Canaanite woman? And what is the overall teaching? So, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 8, says, Do not abhor an Edomite, he is your brother. Do not abhor an Egyptian, you are aliens in their land. So even when God judged Edom and Egypt for their sins, God still... Believed that they were human beings worthy of respect and dignity. And the Old Testament foretells the coming of Gentiles into a relationship with God. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 says, I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles, that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. And this is quoted again in Acts chapter 13, verses 44 onwards. And I'm reading from the New Community Bible. On the following Sabbath, almost the entire city gathered to listen to the word of the Lord. But the presence of such a large crowd made the Jews jealous. So they began to contradict with violent abuse whatever Paul said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out firmly, saying, It was necessary that God's word be first proclaimed to you. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For thus we were commanded by the Lord I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles rejoiced when they heard this, and praised the message of the Lord, and all those destined for eternal life believed in it. Thus the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. The Jews, however, incited devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up an intense persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. The apostles shook the dust from their feet in protest against the people and went to Iconium. So God's destiny was to see the Gentiles come into a relationship with him. And that happened very much throughout the Old Testament. There were many great saints, followers of the Lord who were Gentiles. Jonah led the whole city of Nineveh to repentance. Not only that, when he tried to run away from God, the sailors cared more about Jonah than Jonah did about Nineveh. And they prayed and praised the God of Jonah, the true God of Israel, after the storm subsided. There were always Gentiles who worshipped the God of Israel. There was Uriah the Hittite in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And he was the man who was betrayed and murdered by King David, who stole his wife. But Uriah the Hittite was a more godly, more courageous, more masculine man than David was. There was Arauna the Jebusite in 2 Samuel. Chapter 24, verses 15 to 17. And when God poured out his wrath on Israel, God stopped his judgment at the threshing floor, the farm that is of Arauna the Jebusite. And then in the book of Ruth, we read about Ruth, who was a Moabitess. They were descendants of Lot, and she was the great-grandmother of King David. And in Joshua chapter 2, we read about Rahab. She was a harlot, and she was a Canaanite. And yet they became converts to the God of Israel. And so God throughout his history has had a series of covenants. There was Adam and Eve, the Adamic covenant. They were a covenant couple. Then there was Noah, that was a covenant family. Then came Abraham, a covenant clan. And during Abraham's time in Genesis 14, he met Melchizedek. He would have been a Canaanite, a man living in Jerusalem, which was called Salem at the time. And he was a priest who had a relationship with God. And a man to whom Abraham gave his tithes. So there was Abraham, the covenant clan, followed by Moses, who had a covenant nation. And then in the time of Saul and David, there was a covenant kingdom. And Solomon for a while, became a light to the Gentiles. He brought great splendour and glory to Israel only to capitulate and apostasize and start following the false gods of the nations. But where Solomon failed, Jesus succeeded and Jesus became the Messiah, the King of Kings, of the New Covenant. A covenant with not just Israel, but all nations. And the prophet Amos in Amos chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 says, Now the Lord says this Are you not like the Ethiopians to me, O people of Israel? Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines? From Kaftor, and the Arameans from Ker. The eyes of the Lord God are upon your sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But I will not completely destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. The Lord says that the Ethiopians, the Philistines, and the Arameans are the same in God's eyes as the Israelites. In fact, when Israel sinned on many occasions, God gave victory to the Philistines. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, when the sons of Eli the priest sinned against God, God judged them and gave the Philistines victory in stealing the Ark of the Covenant. But God then also got the... Philistines to see the error of their ways and to honour the Ark of the Covenant and to return it to Israel. And before the coming of Jesus, the last of the Old Testament prophets, it was John the Baptist who preceded Jesus and he preached to Jew and Gentile alike, calling them to repentance. Luke chapter 3 verses 7 to 14 reads, John said to the crowds who came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who told you that you can escape the divine punishment that is to come? Produce now the fruits of a true change of heart, and do not deceive yourselves by saying, We are sons of Abraham, for I tell you, God can raise children... For Abraham from these stones, the axe is already laid to the root, and the tree and every tree that fails to produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The people asked him, what then should we do? And John answered, if you have two tunics, give one to the person who has none. And if you have food, do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised and asked him, Master, what must we do? John said to them, Do not collect more than your fixed rate. People serving as soldiers asked John, What about us? What are we to do? And he answered, Do not take anything by force or threaten the people by denouncing them falsely. Be content with your pay. So Jesus said, was preceded by John the Baptist, and John the Baptist told the people, do not deceive yourselves by saying we have Abraham as our father, because he was showing that physical descent from Abraham means nothing to God. But now we're going to go through the Gospel of Matthew to look at the context of the Canaanite woman, when Jesus said to her, I have not come but to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, the Gospel of Matthew begins with the genealogy and the birth of Jesus. And he's born in Judea, about 4 BC. And Jesus, his family had to flee persecution because King Herod was killing the babies. It's a bit similar to the birth of Moses where Pharaoh was trying to kill the babies and Moses had to be protected as a baby. And a lot of people like to look at the similarities between Jesus and Moses. Instead of you looking at the similarities, I want you to look at the differences. In Moses' time, it was the pagan Pharaoh who was trying to kill the babies. And the Israelites wanted to flee from Egypt to the promised land. But in the Gospel of Matthew, it is in the promised land that the king is killing the babies. And it was the Jewish king, not the pagan pharaoh, who was killing the babies. And he was not just trying to kill the future prophet, Moses, he was trying to kill someone greater than Moses. And Jesus' family had to flee to Egypt for safety. And so the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, was hunted and persecuted by his own king. And we go on a bit further. And Jesus' mission was to reach both the Jews and the Gentiles. After the temptation in the desert by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to settle down in Capernaum, a town by the lake. Of Galilee in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali in this way the word of the prophet Isaiah came true land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali on the way to the sea across the Jordan Galilee land of the Gentiles the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light on those who live in the land of the shadow of death a light has shone from that time on jesus began to proclaim his message change your ways for the kingdom of heaven is near then we carry on to matthew chapter 8 verses 5 to 13 one of the most remarkable stories and it's about the faith of the centurion when jesus entered capernaum An army officer approached him to ask his help. Lord, my servant lies sick at home. He is paralysed and suffers terribly. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The officer answered, I am not worthy to have you under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under orders myself, and I have soldiers under me. And if I say to one, go, he goes. And if I say to another, come, he comes. And if I tell my servant, do this, he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those who were following him, I tell you, I have found no one in Israel with faith like this. I say to you, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But those who belong to the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness outside. There they will weep and gnash their teeth. Then Jesus said to the officer, Go home now. What you believed will happen. And at that moment, his servant was healed. Jesus is making it clear that there were many people who were Gentiles who were outside Israel and they had more faith than many of the people in Israel had. And that many of these people would come into the kingdom and be sitting with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, And if some house or town will not accept you or listen to your words, leave that house and that town and shake the dust off your feet. I assure you it will go easier for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will for the people of that town. Now we may think, what's so significant about shaking the dust off your feet? I'll tell you what it is. The Jews in the time of Jesus, when they would come from overseas, from pagan places such as Egypt and Rome and Greece and Syria, as soon as they were about to set foot in Israel, they would take their sandals off and they would shake the dust off their feet so as not to bring the dust of pagan Gentile lands into Israel, because they said Israel is holy, and the Gentile lands are not worthy of being in there. Now, when Jesus told his disciples to shake the dust off their feet to the people of Israel to whom they went, he was basically saying that those who reject me are like the pagan Gentiles who don't know God. And in that same passage, as well as Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24, God's uh, Jesus, or whose God incarnate, says that the people that rejected him in Judea would have a greater punishment than Sodom and Gomorrah, who were Gentiles that rejected him. And then we go on to Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. And Jesus says, uh, I'll read from verse 41. At the judgment, the people of Nineveh will stand up against the people of this generation and condemn them because they reformed their lives at the preaching of Jonah and there is someone greater than Jonah here. Now Jonah was the man who preached to the pagan Gentile Ninevites and converted them. And Jesus carries on, verse 42. At the judgment, the queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south will rise and condemn you. She came from the other side of the world to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And there is someone greater than Solomon here. Now, the Queen of Sheba was a Gentile. There's no middle ground for Jesus. Some people think, yeah, he was a nice guy. He was a cool hippie. He was a a wise man like Confucius or Buddha or something. I say no. Jesus either was who he claimed to be or he was the most arrogant person that ever walked the face of the earth. And I believe he was the former. He was who he said he was. But there's no middle ground with Jesus. You can't say, oh, well, he was just a nice guy who said some wise sayings and got crucified as a result. If he would just said some nice sayings, he wouldn't have been crucified. But getting back to our point Now we get to Matthew chapter 15, which is just before he meets the Canaanite woman. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. Jesus then called the people to him and said to them, Listen and understand. What enters into the mouth does not make a person unclean, but what comes out of his mouth may defile him. In other words, Jesus was saying here, The Jews believed that if you ate pork or shellfish, you were unclean. And in Deuteronomy, it makes it very clear in the old covenant of Moses that you could not eat these foods. Now Jesus came along and he said, No, eating those foods does not make you unclean. But what comes out of your mouth, so filthy and profane talk, that's what makes you unclean. And in Mark chapter 7, which runs parallel to this story, it says that Jesus was actually making these foods clean. Anyway, I'll carry on. Verse 12. Afterwards, the disciples gathered around Jesus and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you said? Jesus answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be uprooted. Pay no attention to them. They are blind leading the blind. When one blind man leads another, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Jesus replied, Are you still so dull? Do you not see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and that is what makes a person unclean. For it is from the heart that evil desires come. Murder, adultery, immorality, theft, lies, slander. These are the things that make a person unclean. But eating without washing the hands does not make a person unclean. And now immediately after Jesus has declared that these foods that people eat, that the Gentiles eat, does not make them unclean, we carry on. Verse 21... Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now a Canaanite woman came from that area and began to cry out, Lord, son of David, have pity on me. My daughter is greatly tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her, not even a word. Wow, not very like Jesus, is it? But I'll read on. So his disciples approached him and said send her away see how she is shouting after us. Then Jesus said to her I was not sent sorry then Jesus said to her I was sent only to the lost sheep of the people of Israel. But the woman was already kneeling before Jesus and said Lord help me. Jesus answered, it is not right to take the bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. The woman replied, it is true, sir, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said, woman, how great is your faith. It will be as you wish. And her daughter was healed at that moment. It's obvious from the context that Jesus was testing this woman. And she had a greater faith than those of Israel. And she also showed humility. Jesus was testing her humility. And he was testing her faith. And she surpassed anyone else. The only person that could hold a candle to her in Matthew, in my opinion, was the Gentile centurion who said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should even come under my roof. And yet they were rewarded for their humility. And it's also true that Jesus was going only to the lost sheep of Israel at this particular point in time. So Jesus wasn't lying, but if, if Jesus had said, I only ever will save the lost sheep of Israel, then we'd have a problem. But Jesus was talking for that point in time, and he was doing it to test her faith. And with the bulk of what everything else Matthew has so far been saying about Gentiles and God's love for them, for Jew and Gentile alike, we can see that Jesus loved her and he wanted to have a relationship with her as a child of God. And then we go on a little bit further to Matthew chapter 27 verse 54 when Jesus was crucified and had died It says the captain of the soldiers who guarded Jesus were greatly terrified when they saw the earthquake and all that had happened and said, truly this man was the son of God. And then after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus, who had spent almost his entire ministry to the children of Israel, Gives his disciples, who are to continue his work after him, the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 says Then Jesus approached them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples from all nations. Baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to fulfil all that I have commanded you. I am with you always until the end of the world. And aren't they beautiful, reassuring words coming from Jesus himself? And so as we read on further, we get to Acts And in Acts chapters 10 and 11, we read the story about Cornelius, a God-fearing centurion. And he had a relationship with God. And God showed a vision to Peter. And it was a vision of all the unclean animals that the Israelites had not been allowed to eat. And the voice said, take, kill, and eat. And he said, no, no, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. But God says, do not call unclean what God has made clean. So if you had lived in the time of Deuteronomy, in the time of Moses, it was wrong. It was a sin then to eat pork and shellfish. But after the Acts of the Apostles, after Matthew and Mark's, gospels jesus had declared all foods clean because he was told that as a boy as a jew growing up he would have been told don't eat pork don't eat shellfish if you eat those things you'll become unclean and the gentiles eat these foods therefore they are unclean and then the message that he's given is Do not call unclean what God has made clean. And Peter realised from that vision that he was no longer to call the Gentiles unclean because God had a plan for a covenant with them. Acts chapter 14 verse 27 says, On their arrival they, they gathered the church together and told them all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and finally the apostles got together to decide what to do about the Gentiles coming into the church and they were wondering should we still be following all these laws of Moses verse 15 says and the words of the prophets agree with this the scripture says after this I will return and rebuild the house of David which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again that the rest of humanity will look for the Lord and all the Gentiles will be consecrated to my name. So says the Lord who accomplishes today what he decided from the beginning. And they talk on a little bit further and in their apostolic letter, verse 28, they say the Holy Spirit... And we have decided not to put any other burden on you except what is necessary. You are to abstain from meat that has been offered to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from prohibited marriages, or that is sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves away from these, you will do well. Farewell. In Acts chapter 17, Paul the Apostle preached a sermon to the Athenians, the Greeks of the city of Athens. And in verse 30 he says to them, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he calls on all people to change their ways. And then at the very end of Acts, the last two paragraphs, the second last paragraph, Acts chapter 28 verse 28, Before the epilogue it closes and says let it be known to you that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And that's how the book of Acts ends. It's a book of hope. It's a book that gives hope to Jews and Gentiles alike. But it destroys the theology of anyone who thinks that God has only come for Gentiles or only come for Jews. He's come for both. And God loves all people. And now to have a look at what the rest of the New Testament says. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says the gospel went to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Meaning it was first proclaimed to the Jews beginning with Jesus and the very early ministry of the apostles. And then it went to the Gentiles and Romans chapter 9, verses 6 to 8 says, We cannot say that the word of God has not been fulfilled, for not all Israelites belong to Israel. Nor because they are the descendants of Abraham are they all his children. But it is through Isaac that your descendants will be named. This means that the children of God are not identified with the race of Abraham. And Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 13 says, For the scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. Here there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. All have the same Lord who gives with abundance to whoever calls upon him. Truly, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Romans chapter 11 verse 25 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brethren, lest you feel superior to them. Israelites experienced a partial hardening of heart until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And then we come to the book of Galatians, the letter of Paul to the Galatians to Jews and Gentiles in Galatia which is where modern day Turkey is and he calls them bewitched in chapter 3 verse 1 and in Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 and 7 he says remember Abraham he believed God and because of his faith God accepted him as a just man understand then that those who follow the way of faith are children of Abraham. And then later in the chapter, verses 26 to 29, uh, he writes, Now in Christ Jesus all of you are children of God through faith. All of you through baptism in Christ have put on Christ. There is no longer any distinction between Jew and Greek, or between slave and free men, or between man and woman. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, and you are heirs according to God's promise. And Galatians chapter 3 runs parallel with John chapter 8 verses 37 to 44. In saying that not all physical descendants of Abraham are spiritual children of Abraham. Verse 37. I know that you are the descendants of Abraham. Yet you want to kill me because my word finds no place in you. For my part I speak of what I have seen in the father's presence. But you do what you have learned from your father. They answered him. Our father is Abraham. Then Jesus said, If you were Abraham's children, you would do as Abraham did. You want to kill me because I am the one who tells you the truth, the truth that I have learned from God. That is not what Abraham did, but you are doing the works of your father. The Jews said to him, We are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God. Jesus replied if God were your father you would love me for I came forth from God and I am here and I did not come by my own decision but it was he himself who sent me why do you not understand my teaching is it because you cannot bear my message you are of your father the devil And you will carry out the evil wishes of your father who has been a murderer from the beginning. He did not uphold the truth for in him there is no truth. And now when he speaks for himself he lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus made it clear that just because you have physical ancestry from Abraham does not make you a true child of Abraham. It doesn't mean you're not either, but physical ancestry and ethnicity alone is not enough to put a person in a right relationship with God. And then there is Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. There are no aliens, barbarians, slaves or freemen, but Christ is all and is in all. Clothe yourselves then, as is fitting for God's chosen people, holy and beloved to him, with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. So he makes it clear that regardless of whether you're Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, Aliens, barbarians, barbarians there means people living outside the Roman Empire. He says Christ is in all and is is in all. And clothe yourselves as is fitting as God's chosen people. He's saying all these different ethnic groups that trust in Christ as their saviour are God's chosen people. And I'm going to close with Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. A vision of heaven. After this I looked and there was a great crowd that no one could count. From every nation, race, people and tongue standing before the throne and the Lamb clothed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation comes from our God who is seated on the throne and from the Lamb. Thank you for listening and God bless you.